Alright everyone, welcome to episode 75 of Tunes Mate. I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And Ray, this week, had an opportunity to catch up with Carrie Powers. Now, Carrie is a very well-respected musician, has a very bluesy, soulful voice, and describes her music as Americana. And we've had a lot of Americana artists on this podcast. And I think it really is a very distinct genre of music that seems to be more and more popularized lately. And I don't know if if it's just... So I think, you know, we get, you talk with, and we talk about a lot of independent artists. I think that's your connection here. If you listen to really Americana and independent artists go hand in hand very well, in the sense that's what Americana is. It's It's, you know, the spirit of independent music, spirit of do-it-yourself music, uh, the spirit of writing your own music and just wanting to put it out there. And I think that that lends itself to a certain types of instrumentation, certain types of vocalization, uh, certain types of themes. And and so they end up, a lot of these, a lot of folks are going to feel like I'm Americana and they are, they really are the the sort of bedrock of American music. And and we can go back to the, really the history of rock and roll and the history of, well, I mean, the blues and even American gospel and everything else and, and their, their roots and their roots are in everyday people making music and putting that music together. And then eventually some of them recording it, or even if not recording it, going around and playing it. And so I think that a lot of the artists that we talk with are, from that independent background. I think that's the connection here. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And that lends itself, as you said, to this common thread of being very authentic with your music and then pushing forward and working hard. I mean, you're out there on the road. Carrie just talked about tour overseas and described that the audience over there really hungers this type of music. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. I think uh, as we'll see in the interview, I think, you know, your, your connection to that is going to reflect that. And there is, because that's the other part of it is the audience. So I talk about the artists themselves, but there's an, there's a whole audience for this kind of stuff and the kind of audience that's into these kinds of independent artists and who go want to go around to festivals and fairs and local joints and local bars and everything. And, you know, hear the kind of artists that we talk with, they're into that kind of music. And so it is the music that we think of with Americana. Again, it's often based in blues. It's based in the threads of sort of country rock that have, you know, developed over the last century that can be gospel informed. It can be R and B informed at the same time. But it, it, it's very much folk rock in a lot of ways. And the, the audience is, is that's what they've grown accustomed to liking. That's what their style is. And so I think you're right to point to the audience that listens to this. And so I think it'll be fascinating to hear uh, Carrie talk about this kind of stuff. All right. Well, let's head over to the interview. When we come back, we'll break it down. And I've got the opportunity to talk to Carrie Powers. Carrie, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me. Oh, glad to have you and just got introduced to your music. I know I've heard it and that's why I thought it was fascinating because when I was going through your bio, it's like, oh yeah, she was 
featured in the Fox series Rescue Me. And I was like, I, I watched that show. I, and a lot of times you don't connect all the music that's around you because you're so absorbed into the story. Right. And I just listened to your new album and I was really enjoying it. And how would you describe your music? I saw somewhere someone says, oh, it's blues with soul. But how would you describe it? Well, that's really, that's very flattering. I think, you know, if someone were to ask me, and they do from time to time, but I would say it's definitely American roots and blues. And I'd like to think that it's it's soul as well, soulful more so. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's all three of those things, roots, blues, soul, but I guess roots kind of covers all that, you know? I'm not somebody that sticks to one particular style, so... It's kind of a melding pot of a lot of different things, I guess. So, yeah, it's all umbrellaed under under Americana. And I noticed that. I was going through your new album, Love is Lie, and I was going down each track, and some of them had kind of this very soothing feel. Other were just very bluesy, and I felt a little uh, you know, backbeat to some of them, so I could definitely tell all those influences in there. And mm-hmm. What were your influences? Did you have a very kind of eclectic musical style growing up? Yeah, I mean, I was always the type of person, I think, that I'm super open to just about anything. I mean, growing up, I think my first love was Neil Young. I discovered Neil Young when I was super young, and um, his my cousins actually gave me an old hand-me-down 8-track. So I had, I had Decade, and I just flipped out like it was like unlike anything I'd ever heard and I loved that and of course I loved all of the blue stuff that I could get my hands on everything from Sun House I mean Lightning Hopkins uh, I really love a gal by the name of Jessie Mae Hemphill who a lot of people are not aware of her she uh, was from Como Mississippi yeah. and died in 2006 so I had you know that side of it the blues and soul side and then My dad was a huge country music fan, the old country, Merle Haggard, Tammy Wynette, Patsy, you know, George Jones. So I was exposed to quite a melting pot of music growing up. So I think that's why the Americana umbrella is is so, you know, fitting because I just, I was exposed to just about everything. My mom loved Janis Joplin, Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, and then my father was into like the classic country thing. But I'd say mostly when I was younger, my influences were basically Neil Young, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and just about all the blues I could get my hands on, you know? Well, you can hear it in the song and in your songs. And what I think is interesting is, oh, you're welcome, is I was going through the new album and the first track, Love is Lie. So tell us first, tell us about the new album. What inspired you to create it? And then... The title track is, seems like it has a lot to it. Could you tell us a little more about that too? Sure. Love is Why is, um, it, I came up with a title basically through the song. And I was just, you know, I usually, when I write most of the time, I'll start with a melody, an idea, a melody will come. And then the lyrics will form. And I never sweat anything. I'm not somebody that forces anything. But I kind of, and I tell my songwriting students the same thing. You just take your time and let the song reveal itself, you know. And that's what happened with that song. The particular song, Love Is Why, is about 
someone who you basically give your love to and they're not accepting of that love. There's someone that just doesn't accept the love that you give. And um, you can make a decision as you get older through that relationship to hang on and keep trying or to take better care of yourself. And I think that subconsciously that was floating around somewhere and it just came out in that one particular song. But what happened was I lost my father and less than a year later, COVID hit and all of the songs on the album are a result of going through all of that, you know, the loss and the grieving, but also the healing and the hopeful part of it too. So I think the title is befitting because love is why we persevere uh, as cliche as that sounds. It's just fact. And it's also Mm -hmm. why we make some of the decisions that we make, whether they're (laughs) good for us or not so good at the time. But I think love is behind a lot of why we do the things that we do. So I just thought it was a really good, a good fit for the title. Yeah, it kicks everything off. And that makes a lot of sense now, that background on the inspiration for the album, because I saw some other tracks. One jumped out to me was Rummaging Through My Love. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to it, and it kind of tapped my foot. It's like, I kind of felt like Bonnie Raitt kind of a vibe coming out of there. Was that part, obviously you're talking about, you created this, out of a response to everything that went on. Was that a song that happened earlier on in the creative process or how did that song come together? That's a funny one. Rummage Through My Love came about a few years ago and I was literally driving by, you know, songwriters are, I I call myself a song chaser most of the time because we're always looking for stuff, you know, Uh, it has to be emotional and heartfelt, but I was riding by, um, driving by a rummage sale And I started thinking, because I've always loved that word rummage. It's just always been one of those things that I find intriguing, right? Certain words. And I started Mm -hmm. thinking about how in relationships, we kind of rummage through one another's stuff when we meet. And that's, that's how the song came about. And it was unusual because usually, like I said, I start with like a melody and things follow or fall in line from there. But this one particular incident was that I was driving by a rummage sale. And the the song idea came, but I did not like the song when I first wrote it. I thought it was like lazy and um, (laughs) I tend to be a little hard on myself at times, but I thought the song was super lazy and I didn't like the feel of it. And I could not figure out, Mark, what was going on with the darn song. So when I took it to Marco Giovino, Mm -hmm. my producer, Marco's amazing. I mean, people know him as a drummer. Uh, he's renowned for that sense, but he's he's worked with some of the best people in the business, and he just has a remarkable ear. And it was a simple fix. He just said to me, Carrie, think Al Green. Like, just tamp it down a little bit. we got to slow it down and kind of put the brakes on. And And he, like, gave me an example, and we went in to record it. I had played it live a few times, and it was, like, a whole different experience. And a completely different song. So um, that's how that all came about. And now it's one of my favorites on the album. Of course, we have Kelvin Hawley playing guitar. He was Little Richard's guitar player and part of the amazing Rhythm Aces. So I just feel really blessed. We have so many great musicians and um, artists on this record. 
I can tell the instrumentation really shined and was interesting about this song. So did the title come first? Is that what I understand? Yeah, the title came first. And that's unusual for me because I'm I'm more of an intuitive artist. I, I'm also a visual mm-hmm. artist and everything really is about in, intuition. Like I just kind of go with how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. It's more of an emotional response artistically. So that was unusual. And every now and then that will come. You know, like songs will come that way, more of a title or like a certain word, you know, will kind of um, evolve into an entire song. It takes a while, but that one I didn't take too long to write, actually. But it just, like I said, when I first wrote it, it was for me, it was a throwaway. Like I said, I'm just going to toss this. And Marco said, look, bear with me. I think you should, you know, you should fix this because it's an easy fix. And he said, I really like the idea and the lyrics and everything. It's it's smart and let's see where this goes type of thing. And he was spot on. I'm glad you went through it. So it sounds like your songwriting process, most of the time is it kind of organically builds. You have some ideas and then you, like you said, you kind of work through them. Mm-hmm. And it's not something where you're just going to sit down. I'm going to write a song today. It's just something hits you and then you work and you build that song. Yeah, I'm not somebody that, um, and I've often said to people, I have a great deal of respect and admiration for folks that are staff writers in Nashville. I don't know how they do that, get up and write every day. I mean, I am in the habit now of writing every day, but it's not the same medium. You know, I'm putting a chat book together of poetry, and I belong to a writer's group. I do a little memoir writing and things like that just to keep you know, those chops active, so to speak. But as far as songwriting, again, it's more intuitive and it's more, I guess it is inspirational. Like I have to feel kind of inspired. I I kind of know when those days happen. Like I know when I get up, if I'm going to have like kind of a creative, you know, Mm -hmm. like spurt, I'll say, right? Yeah. No, that's amazing. Yeah. Because it's it's interesting. We've interviewed a couple on here and it seems like everyone's kinda of over the board. We interviewed Holly Knight, who, you know, probably done a lot of hits in the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. And you know, she was basically saying she goes all off titles. So she has a little book and it's from the title comes the song. That's, that's her method. You've had others where they're scheduling time where, okay, I'm going to write a song today and others where it's a balance between all these things. Yeah. And that music creative process, that's something that we here at Tunesmate are always encouraging other artists while they're going through trying to write music or just trying to get inspired. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you've been inspired by many. What are some of the things that you've heard from other musicians? Have they told you advice? Definitely. It sounds like your producer is helping you, but is there some advice that you've received that you would say that's the best advice I've ever you've got from a musician? Well, I think that um, as we evolve, you know, certain advice means different things at certain times throughout one's career. But I think something that has always stuck with me, you know, when I was young, I used to walk the back roads along the railroad tracks to this guy's house. His name was Dan Furmanick, and he was from the South, and his son was a mm-hmm. an award-winning fiddle player. 
and they lived in this very modest home. It was really sweet. And I, you know, I would go on Saturday mornings and it was like the highlight of my week. And he would play a gig on Friday nights, you know, and he'd get up early to give me a guitar lesson. And he was, you know, smoking whiskey and the whole nine yards. And he would say to me, because I used to like sweat the fact that I really struggled to read music. I didn't like it. You know, again, I think from the time I was young, it was all about intuition and feel. And he said to me, don't ever focus or worry about focusing on reading music. The most important thing is the feel. Tap your foot, close your eyes, and get lost in the music, he said. And the way he said it and the expression at the time on his face, I knew he was telling me some very important truth, you know, and I was just really young. But that always stuck with me. And I think that it was his way of saying, you know, kid, you're, you're, you're moving in the right direction, like you're doing okay, because I really used to like torture myself over the fact that I couldn't read music. I really struggled with it, you know? Yeah, I do personally, because I play uh, piano. I only took a few months of lessons, so I play by ear myself, and uh-huh. I've, I struggle a little bit on that fact, but I, I do resonate with that. I, I agree that the feeling is important. And I don't want to lose sight of new albums. So we were talking about Love is the Why, and we talked a couple tracks on here. But another one that jumped out to me was The Presence of the Faithful. Mm-hmm. It seemed very soothing. I, I listened to it multiple times, and I was trying to understand the message that was there. What inspired that song? Um what inspired that was was the death of my dad, and I wrote a few songs on the album that, you know, sometimes when you tell people that you've written about losing someone, loss or death, they automatically think, as, as people we do, we'll go down the road of thinking, well, that's probably going to be a depressing song or situation, mm-hmm. and I don't feel that way when I'm writing, I think it's a it's more of a catharsis, you know, it's very healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that song, I have a big chair near, near my bed in the bedroom. And I really can feel the presence of my father. Oftentimes I'll get up super early in the morning and just literally wake up with him like on my mind. And he's been gone now four years and it's still happening. And that song was spurred from those moments, you know, of, of having like clarity around the fact that he's gone, but yet knowing that he's, he's still here somehow, even though I don't understand it, I have a lot of questions around it. And that's how that Mm -hmm. song came about, but it's just about how, you know, everything means something when you, when you have faith, you know, when you, when you're present for the moment and you have faith in the things that you love and believe in. And, um, again, it could sound really cliche, but I just think that instead of cliche, it's more universal. I think we can all relate to that feeling. Yeah, I agree. And it's, when I listened to that song, I really sensed what you were talking about, that there was, had a really deep meaning and I know the whole album. I mean, there's, it's really hard. I mean, one of the questions that I've heard many musicians ask, what's your favorite song? It's like, well, they're all my favorite because you've created them. But when I went through and I sampled it, these were the ones that really jumped out to me. Obviously you put a lot of work into everything that's here 
-hmm. And I really can sense that kind of holistic feel of the album. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's important to write your truth, you know, and that's the one thing I tell my students first and foremost is like, tell your truth and don't be afraid to be vulnerable because when you avoid that, people know, we know as human beings where that connection lies. And I think that's really important. If you're going to be a writer, you have to put yourself out there, um, you know, your truth and you, and you have to be vulnerable in doing that. So it wasn't an easy album to write, but at the same time, I feel really lucky because it, it was a very healing process writing those songs. And, um, and I'm just, you know, I don't, look at them like they're all my favorites or that it's an important album by any means. It's just where I'm at right now at present time. And I'm really grateful for my process that that has continued over the years. And uh, hopefully it'll continue a little longer, you know? Well, if you keep working at it, there is something to perseverance. Mm -hmm. And I know I mentioned when we kicked off this discussion that you had some early success with some of your music. Could you talk about that? I mean, it is called the music business because music does get used in many things, but the Fox series Rescue Me, what was that about? And how did that, did that have a significant impact on your career? Yeah, I mean, it was anything that happens for an independent artist feels significant in the moment, right? And it's all like, a blessing. I look at everything that happens like, a, you know, a gift. And that was really great because at the time I was working with a producer by the name of Crit Harmon and he's out of the Boston area and we have done some co-writing together. He's a super person. And he was working with a, a publishing company, a publisher at the time. And they just happened to be working with the music soups for Rescue Me, and a lot more to do with FX Network, you know, the Fox Network. So he reached out and he said that they expressed interest in an album that we had worked on together. It was called Faith in the Shadows. And um, one thing led to another. We got one cut in, uh, in the Rescue Me series with Dennis Leary and then another one. They They had, it was like two or three songs, I think, that they you know, implemented into the, the show. And then after that happened, a couple of years after that, uh, Justified with Timothy Oliphant, there was a song that I sang uh, tenderly that was included in that. And then that just sort of trickled into other things. We ended up getting um, a uh, a song off the same album, Faith in the Shadows. It was called Diamond Day into a, a major motion picture with uh, Lee Schriedmer and Naomi Watts, Elizabeth Moss. So it was kind of a trickle effect. And we, and, and, you know, in the interim, there were some soap operas and things like that. So all of that was really a blessing and um, it certainly can't hurt your career, I'll say. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was just a really cool thing that to have happen and a very positive an encouraging <laughs> experience, I'll say. Yeah, and that's, as we were talking about throughout this podcast, Toonsmate, we created this because we tend to get, there's a stat out there, I don't know, I think it might have been Pandora or Spotify, I think it's Spotify that says 
at some point we hit a musical plateau and we don't let new music in. And as we know, we are akin to habit and ritual and going back and listening to the same songs. So to get your music out there, to peak interest, say, oh, what's that? Oh, I, maybe I should be putting some new music into my, my playlist. That's great news, not only for yourself, the artist, but then for others that are looking for some mu new music to whether it's they want to embrace and put that in there. So I, I'm glad when other artists could do that because it just creates a, you know, a trickle down effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the one good thing about Spotify in the sense that the exposure aspect of it is very positive and you do get exposed to new music, you know, through those playlists and stuff. And it is kind of a, it's a chain effect, you know, it's pretty cool that way. And there's a lot of great music out there. And I think the one good thing about the digital platforms is that a lot of music that we would not have heard of, right, otherwise, because of, we didn't have the digital clearly before, mm -hmm. find a lot of things more easily now. And it's really enlightening. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much good music is out there. And how much of it really isn't on like major labels or even labels, you know, that that's the thing that's, it blows your mind, the talent that's out there. It does take some effort. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I think that's why music is something that if you are constantly searching for it, as you said, you are searching to write songs. I think there's a lot out there searching for new music. Yeah. Definitely recommend everyone checking out your new album the latest album and it sounds like you were doing a tour that you were out there overseas yeah how we, did your tour go and yeah what's the difference really between touring in europe and the united states i've heard there's a lot of difference between the two well i think the common ground uh, is is pretty obvious that we're all human beings and it's i think it's the most important element is the connection that you make, right? So that that's all the same, mm -hmm. is, is making that connection. I think you have to keep in mind that Europe historically is a lot older than we are. So I really believe that there's some kind of a connection between the historical aspect of being in a European country and their love of the culture, the arts and music, you know, that culture. Uh, there's a great deal of respect and admiration, really, for art and music over there. So they really, they really dig in, you know, and they delve into just about every kind of music there is. And I think there's where I tours in the Netherlands and Germany, and they love the kind of music that you know, I, they really love American roots music, Americana and blues. Mm. So I think that there's a Every, every artist that goes over there experiences something different. I don't play great big halls, obviously, like 600-plus seaters. I do smaller rooms. We, we sold out a couple of rooms last tour. But they're more intimate, and it's just more, I'll, I'll say that, like it's more of an intimate setting, you know? And I think they really look forward to hearing like songwriters and, and again, Americana and blues. Yeah. I love how you bring up that historical aspect part because mm -hmm. it is something that can change the way you think about music and art. And yeah, it's so exciting that you were able to, to 
be a part of that. And I imagine that inspired you as well to impact some future music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, right now, because the album's so new, I think the, the, the most recent thing I've worked on, my son is getting married in August. So I'm, <laughs> I guess it won't be a surprise now that I, <laughs> I'm telling you, but we're working on a a song for him and his, his fiance. So that's kind of something that I've been doing. And um, I just recently won a custom Les Paul electric guitar. So I've been doing a lot of really cool experimentation with uh, pedals and just basically blues, you know, some lead parts that I'm not used to playing. So I'm sort of in more of an experimental phase right now. Well, congratulations. Thank you. That's yeah. exciting on many fronts. Yeah, yeah. We're, I'm so happy that he's, my son is happy and healthy and, uh, you know, starting a life of his own. And, and it's uh, it's really, again, another gift, right? So, so yeah, a lot of changes and, and they're good ones. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Well, we're grateful to have you on today's podcast. And to find out more information, go to carrypowers.com. Yes. And uh, Love is Why is available to order there. Uh, and it's on all streaming platforms as well. Well, I highly recommend it. Enjoy today's conversation. Liked hearing some more stories. Love to have you back on the podcast in the future. And thank you so much for sharing your story and your music. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me and for your time. And thanks to your listeners. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Ray. Well, welcome back. So Carrie talked about a couple interesting things there. One jumped out to me was that this album was really devoted to losing your father. But when we broke down each track and we talked about it, she had a story behind each and much of the music we listen to, if you don't know it's dedicated to someone, most likely it is. Yeah, you know, that's a it's an interesting theme. We see the sort of pop narratives, right? Of you know, I mean Terrell Swift's probably the most common example, right? Of, you know, this song's about John Mayer and this song's about whatever. And you know, some of that probably is. Some of it I think is people just making crap up to because they it has to be about somebody, right? It's like the your Sylvain thing, right? You know, who's that got to be about, you know? And, you know, a lot of music does come from our experiences and comes from our emotions that we feel. And so it, it makes sense in a lot of ways to the idea of I'm going to, I'm going to write an album that that's built off of the feelings I'm going through as I'm experiencing something. Right. And, you know, we know of songs like that, right. Where, you know, somebody's going through stuff and they write this song and it becomes, you know, really well known. It becomes a really good song because when the emotion comes out, they're able to capture something very well. A, a lot of good music that comes out of that kind of place is going to resonate with the kinds of audiences that are interested in this kind of artist. Going track by track, as I said, we talked about each song. I can just sense when I listen to it that there had to be some special meaning behind it. And I really think Carrie devoted, put so much into this that when you listen to it, you will have a connection to it. And as we talked about people, why they want to go to the bar, why they want to go out to these concerts is not only hear music, but then have an opportunity to connect with that artist connect with the audience and 
also the name of the first track is the name of the album. And I also started thinking about how many albums is the actual name of the song on the album somewhere. And I would have to say that's pretty common. Yeah, it happens a lot. I mean, it's funny when I do my uh, daily 80s flashbacks for our, our site, right? I don't know how many, how many of them. And I, I just did one. You know, oh, you know, and instead of giving the title of the song, I say, and the title track off that album, because, you know, I'll, I'll talk about, well, you know, they had three songs off of this album that hit the top 40 or whatever, or hit the hot 100. And, and the first of those, the title track. And what's interesting to me is when, you know, artists will do that and then they release, a lot of times they'll release the title track as the first mm-hmm. single. But so, a lot of times they don't. They, they make it the second or the third single and or even the last single. And I mean, you know, we're talking about a whole different atmosphere than than Carrie's uh, music here, where we're talking about, you know, coming out with an album and it's not the big studio and the singles and stuff. But but that whole idea that you're going to have a song that's sort of the centerpiece of the album. And oftentimes it's the very first song on the album because it's where everything begins and it sets the tone and the frame for the entire album. And I mean, thinking about this album, the idea of love is why and dedicating it to her her father. And I mean, just the whole feel of that. I mean, that sets the tone for the whole album and that's pretty impactful. It really helps bring the audience in and connect with what am I trying to do here with this record? Yeah. And if you're looking for some new music, Highly recommend checking out Carrie Power's latest effort, Love Is Why. And Ray, we're going to continue putting more and more great stuff up on Tunesmate. I've been enjoying, once again, 80s flashbacks. I love the fact you've been digging into not only the United States chart, but I saw one up there recently from Slade, and you're like, the UK chart. And I was like, let's take a listen to this song. I know Slade songs and then I kind of sort of remembered it, but it didn't definitely get Mm -hmm. a lot of airplay on the United States charts. But I love the fact that you're doing that. You're dipping into other charts. And I know you've been doing that a lot, but that's one that really got me recently. Yeah. The all all join hands. I had kind of forgotten about it. And then when I, I came across it as a possibility for the daily eighties flashback, I was like, Oh yeah. I like, kind of like you, I remember this and, and I've kind of tried to do that. You know, when, when I got started Daily East Flashback, it was very much pop chart, U.S. pop chart oriented. And I also realized soon that I was going to run out of stuff if I kept that focus. And it just makes sense to me to, you know, I don't want to repeat songs. So let's let's start expanding. And so we'll go to the U.K. I'm going to at some point I'll be venturing even outside of the UK, um, you know, around the world as much as I can and I can get the information to do so. And, and yeah, the country chart, the, the, the R and B or at the time was called the black singles chart or the dance chart. And, you know, I had one the day after that Slade one, uh, folks probably remember waterfront from their big hit cry back in 1989, but, they had a song called, well, they had two songs. They had a second song hit the Hot 100, but they had three songs hit the Adult Contemporary Chart. And the third one was called Move On. And that was that was a recent daily 80s flashback. And I don't, I didn't remember it and, and know it, but wow, did I love it. 
And, you know, we've, we've talked about that before, yes. right? That p- part of our site is you get to re-experience things you love. You get to find things you didn't know about or you, you haven't seen before. And, and Move On is right in the, the frame of that late 80s adult contemporary stuff that I really love. And <laughs> I, 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 I put it on and I made the thing and I listened to it like three times just to I was like, this is a really great song. And so, you know, that's what we're all about. Yeah, I jo- I enjoyed it too. When you said cry, I thought about that Godly and Cream song where I think Beavis and Butthead would make yep. fun of it in the, the video. They would be really quiet and then like come at you. I'll have to look up yep. that Waterfront song again. I, I know once I hear it, but there's there's a lot of songs called Cry. So, yeah. Yeah. No, you'll remember the waterfront one when you hear it. Please don't cry. Yeah, I definitely will. And that's once again, the purpose yeah. of tunes mate to introduce you to new music like Harry powers to introduce you to old music that is new again. So and that's the whole purpose of it. So we're going to keep doing that. We want you to subscribe to our podcast and follow our blog. And once again, I'm Mark and I'm Ray. And we will see you next time.